You are listening to ACPN. Welcome to Rewind Cinema, the podcast where two friends go back in time, pick some movies to watch and review, and give you our uneducated opinions about, and we want to emphasize again, uneducated opinions. Uh, my name is, is, is Gabe, and I am one half of this show, and sitting across from me this morning is... Crikey! <laughs> what? That's not a knife. That's Is it... Uh, Paul Hogan? <laughs> yes. why, why are you here? Uh, that's where my Australian accent stops. Oh, I'm <laughs> sorry. Just, I'm just curious. It has nothing to do with the movie we're talking about today. He but, was. You didn't see him, but he was in the scene. He was. Yeah. Paul Hogan was in this film. Yeah, you didn't see him. No. He was in there. No, I think you're making this up. He was. Uh, he was one of the guys buying dope from uh, Strike. I think you're you're <laughs> lying. I am lying. Okay. Um, well, I like it. I like the attempt, and uh, I like that you bought it. Yeah, I, I did buy it. Um, that's good. Yeah. So, welcome to Rewind Cinema. We're we're glad to be back. This is the third episode of our fourth season. Um, it's a it's a sunny day in November as we sit in Matt's apartment uh, mm. and record. A little warm here again. Yeah, it's a little warm. A little it's warm. Been un, like unseasonably warm. Actually, it's been cold. It's been now really it's, cold. Now it's warm. Yeah. And humid. And it's going to get cold again, I think, like tonight, maybe. Good. Maybe we'll go back to, to what it should be. I embrace it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, thanks for, for joining us. Uh, I think, Matt, I think we have another voicemail. We have another voicemail. I, I don't know who it's from, but let's if, if, you, if you could okay. cue it up, I'd like to... I think to I know li- who it's from. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'd like to listen. Um, right, yeah, because well. it's, cause it's always be from someone different. You never know. Um, yeah. Let's give it a go. Who, who is it? Hey, guys. It's, it's Dan. Um I don't want to take up much of your time today because I know you guys are working on recording the podcast and thinking about that and, and stuff. Um, but I was reading uh, in the newspaper today. I came across the daily uh, horoscopes. I don't, I don't do astronomy or astrology or any any other astro things, but. Um, I was just thinking about you guys, and so I thought I'd read uh, your horoscopes. And so um, for for Gabe, your your horoscope says um, you'll you'll meet a lovely and intelligent person this week. I don't I don't know why that's important, but um, I hope you find that that special person. And uh, for Matt, um, yours yours says. Grave misfortune and terror await you. So, um, man, be careful. Keep up the good work, guys. <laughs> uh, he's been reading oh, my journal, not wow, reading my Harris. Wow, my Dan, Dan the man calling again. I don't, you know, I'm. 
he's has he ever called here before? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think I he's so. called twice. Oh, okay. I think yeah. it's only him. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, thanks for calling again, Dan. Wow, Matt, you need to to watch your back uh, <laughs> this week. I don't know what I've done to anger Dan, but uh... um, it was not Dan. It was your horoscope. Uh, <laughs> don't imply that Dan made that up. To look, Libras never have bad days. Oh yeah, Is never. That it? Yeah. I don't even know how Dan knew you were a Libra. Um, I don't know, or that I'm a Leo. See, that's scary. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And I and I double checked it, and he's right. You yeah. you need to watch your back. <laughs> um, yeah. So thanks for the thanks for the call, Dan. We always appreciate your uh, your calls. Um, what's up? <laughs> what's up? <laughs> I don't know. How's it going? <laughs> uh, it's going pretty well. Uh, I I just want to. Have you been watching um, Haunting on Hill House? Man. Um, so I number one, I pitched this to you. And you were like, eh, I don't really do stuff like that. And I said, I thought you liked horror. And you're like, I don't like all horror. So are you saying you've been watching it? I've watched half an episode. Okay. Yeah. I've watched half an episode. Oh, okay. Cool. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I watched about, well, I watched about 20 minutes of the first episode. I had, yeah. to, I had to turn it off to leave. And uh, I was thinking about it. I didn't go back to it, man, because I, I don't do well with horror. You know this about me. Yeah. I, I don't... You're scaredy pants. I am a scaredy pants. If I watch something and go to bed that night, I will think there's a woman hanging over my bed <laughs> with her hair draped in my face. Yeah. And that happens in this one. So I was like, no, I'm good. I'm not going to return. Yeah, I, do, I, I have heard that it's pretty scary. Like it yeah. gets to go some pretty dark places. But I, the reason that I haven't gone back yet is just I'm not a big fan of the script. Oh, okay. I just think it's kind of, um, I don't think the writing, the, especially the dialogue, is very good. I mean, obviously, I don't know enough about the structure yet and yeah. how the characters work together and everything. Yeah. But especially that lead, the older brother. Yeah. Man, I don't like that character. And it's not the character, but I don't like the actor. I don't like the writing. I would encourage you, not that I've seen it, but, you know, to, to make that judgment call half an episode in is, is pretty... Yeah. You know, it might get better. Yeah. You never know. And I've heard, I've heard that it gets actually really... Um, emotionally powerful i've heard people have cried not for fear but because it's it's a moving (laughs) story and i I can't verify that because i haven't seen it but uh, i've heard it's good you know that's why i didn't read the harry potter books when i was younger (laughs) you didn't i read the first page of the first book and i said nope not for me yeah closed it (laughs) was it was it you didn't like the dialogue it was too emotional i didn't like the dialogue it talked about his long neck what i don't know i don't don't remember remember that that. no talked about his neck a lot okay well he does have a great neck (laughs) i gotta say there's like (laughs) you stick with it to book five you realize how (laughs) beautiful his neck is so Uh, you um, should read them i know you don't you're not much of a a reader not at all yeah not at all but they're so good i think we'll read the screenplay for haunting on hill house yeah maybe you'll appreciate it then i don't know maybe yeah. Um, read Harry Potter, though. No. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you being so honest. No. I, I won't. It, think about how great life would be if we just said no when we wanted to say oh, no. I do all the time. Really? Are you getting better at that as you get older? I think I've always been pretty decent at saying no. Yeah. I said no to you earlier today when you wanted me to go to that thing. Oh, yeah, I you no. did. I, w- <laughs> I wanted to go to the thing, and you was just like, no. <laughs> yeah, you do. You actually did it just like that. Too. I just don't like it when somebody RSVPs to something or says they're coming and then they end up and not. they don't and they flake. I and, do that. And you and you know that the whole time they didn't want to go. Yeah. Are you? I mean, I'm not talking are, about are you. Talking you about me? I'm not talking about <laughs> that. 
This is an intervention game. <laughs> Wait, where's mom? What are you doing here? The two years of this podcast have been set up for this moment. <laughs> My mom just walked out of the bathroom <laughs> with a sign that says, we love you. So We love you. Please don't run. Yeah. No, I just I don't want to be that person in other people's lives. So I think they, I think yeah, that's great. I think our uh, people our age especially suffer from from. I read an article about how people have no relationships. Yeah, and millennials are going, why don't I have deep? They they have relationships, but why don't I have deep relationships? And the article was saying everyone is a flake. Yeah, people don't show up to the bar when you invite them or to a party, and and it uh, it was a kind of a knife in the the stomach article because I mm. I think I'm better than a lot of flakes i know <laughs> yeah better at not, not a better person but better at not being flaky but yeah we we flip-flop a lot in our culture yeah uh, well uh i don't sorry, know sorry this isn't a <laughs> this isn't <laughs> this, this is a, a therapy, therapy podcast <laughs> i don't uh, know about uh flakes but i do know about those dang snowflakes dude am i right <laughs> freaking millennials freaking man. millennials and they're I am amused by the rise of the millennials have ruined X uh, like theories, theories and news and and videos and articles and it's everywhere, man. Except when you look at it, millennials are actually making things a lot better these days. Like they're they're voting like crazy. They're yeah. you know I mean I feel like they're they're but they're the initiative for change. If a you lot don't more. like the way they're voting, it's bad. Well, that's that's <laughs> true. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, it's nice to see young people, yeah, uh, acting and and hello, and, fellow young person, and, and <laughs> <laughs> young people. What am I? <laughs> I don't know. Um, okay, well, thanks for joining us today. Uh, today on the show, we are talking about the 1995 Spike Lee joint, Clockers. Come on, get in, get in. Oh. How you feel? All right. You better be, because we got another big order come in. Right. Hey, what? Mm. God created anything better than crack cocaine. He kept that shit for himself. I mean, that shit is like truth serum. It will truly expose who you are. I mean, you happen to be a low-life rap bastard motherfucker. Who would sell off his newborn for a suck off that glass dick? Crack will bring it right on in the light. I mean, I don't care, you black, white, Chinese, rich, poor. You take that first and you want a mission. And that mission will never end. Even when the house, the money, loved ones are gone, they send you to the joint, you still gonna try to cop. Damn. Only time it ends, right? That mission? When you six feet under. And that's the reason why I don't ever want to hear about you using this shit. You understand me? Uh, crazy? All right then. Because it's also the reason why I ain't never going out of business. I'm a great businessman, right? And I got me the world's greatest product. Spike Lee joint. I mean, that's what he calls them, yeah. right? Not to be confused with Spike Jones joint. That's true. Does Spike <laughs> Jones do that too? No. Oh, he probably smokes <laughs> a lot of joints. Yeah, probably. After watching yeah. her. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. And, and uh, Where the Wild Things Are. Oh, yeah. That movie's a trip. Yeah, it is a trip. Yeah. Um, so Clockers was, like we said, directed by Spike Lee, most famous for Malcolm X, Do the Right Thing, and most recently, Black Klansman, which oh, yeah. I very much enjoyed. Really, really liked that movie. And I, and I was excited to watch this too because I 
once again, mm -hmm. going through my film history, I sat down and said, man, I have not seen a lot of Spike Lee movies. Yeah. Yeah. Which is sad. Yeah. I've seen Do the Right Thing. Um, I've seen Black Klansman. And I can't remember off the top of my head. I've seen another one that I just can't remember. Yeah. I've not seen Malcolm X, mainly because it's three and a half hours long. Oh, man. And I don't do well in long movies, to no, be honest Ma with Matt you. has a long history of not doing well in long, Ooh. long movies. He, he doesn't like to sit down for more than seven <laughs> minutes at a time. So even my, with a short film, it's hard for him to watch. My he, attention span, it, it just cannot handle it. Yeah, um, so Spike Lee's had... I, I think I've seen a lot of his... Well, that's not true. I don't want to use the word a lot, but sometimes he'll go from a, a, a film like this, which is a very personal thing to him. Mm -hmm. It's obviously his style. It's what he wants. And then he'll go make a big movie Yeah. Um, that right. is sort of a, a blockbuster. And I, I don't even think Black Klansman would count as that. No, it's, um, not, it's not widely marketable, I don't think. Yeah, but like... You're thinking about like He Got Game, um, stuff like that? I would, I would even say that's one of his more personal... Not that I've seen it again, but I'm, I think mm. I'm talking about... Did he make a, a train movie? Like a train a, a, movie. There's a train and it's not stopping. And, and Denzel, he made some action. Hmm. He's made action movies before with uh, with Denzel. And I'm looking at IMDb and failing as I as I read this. But this is great. Like he made Old Boy, oh, the, okay. the remake of Old Boy with Josh Brolin. Yeah, which was really a cool idea, but didn't go anywhere. It didn't do very well. Yeah, I see um, what you mean. He he. He'll make a passion project and then he'll do something a little bit more marketable, yeah. which I, I think is a is a great way to do things because you have to finance yourself and you have to be because you know not not everyone's going to be, you know, yeah I don't know Alfonso Cuarón or you know whoever is just like making you know what they want to make continuously. Yeah, um, In, so, I'm seeing Inside Man with Denzel. That that's not a train movie. Sorry, that was yeah. like a bigger blockbuster type of movie. Clive Owen was in that movie. And anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So, um, we mentioned Spike Lee. The writer is uh, Richard Price, who is, does a lot of movies. Um, mostly The Wire, I think, is probably his claim to fame. Um, he wrote for The Wire for a long time. Um, notable actors include Harvey Keitel, um, who was in Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, um, John Turturro, O Brother, Where Art Thou, um, Delroy Lindo. Who Love Delroy Lindo. <laughs> yeah. I'm serious. I, I just he's he's an amazing character actor. He has a yeah. face you do not forget, and he's so good in everything he does. Yeah. And so I, I saw his name. I was like, yes, he's Delroy. He's actually in something we're going to be talking uh, about later in the season. Get Shorty. Yeah. Um, so we'll be talking about him again later. He was in Malcolm X. Um, Keith David is in this. Also, in, uh, yeah, he's love Keith David. He has like 300 credits on IMDb or something like that. Because he does everything. He does video dude, games. Oh, he does yes. radio. That guy works nonstop. Yeah, he's got a golden voice. That's why he does. He's currently starring in Greenleaf, which mm. is a show I don't watch, but he's in it. I've so never heard of it. The man's working. Very cool. It's produced by Oprah. Good for him. Um, so this movie was originally supposed to be directed by, uh, directed by Martin Scorsese, which makes sense. This is a very Scorsese uh, film, something that he would take on. Yeah. Um, Rocco Klein, who is kind of the main investigator in this movie, would have been the main character played by Robert De Niro um, instead of Harvey Keitel. Oh, I can see that. Yeah. They're actually very similar. At, le they are. at least in this movie, you, Harvey Keitel and Robert De Niro, I think, could be kind of interchangeable. Interchangeable, yeah, I see that. I mean, I'm glad it was Keitel. I, I like him a lot. Mm -hmm. um, but I absolutely that would have worked too. Yeah, um, Scorsese changed his mind and actually decided to direct Casino. Um, so Ooh. De Niro went to that and, and did that with him. Scorsese asked Spike Lee if he wanted to direct. Lee accepted, 
Um, and so he d- decided that Strike and not Rocco was going to be the main focus of the movie, which I think actually probably made things better depending on you know what angle you're trying to take in where this movie went. Um, but Scorsese was given an executive producer credit. Nice. It had a budget of $25 million and made $13 million. Um, so it, for this type of movie, I think probably decent because Spike Lee wasn't necessarily the name that he is now. Yeah. Um, Malcolm X came out before this, so I'm sure that got him a, a following, but certainly Spike Lee is, is a huge A-list director today. Yeah, now for sure. And, and Do the Right Thing came out before this too, which, yes. was, which yeah. was, I think, got him on the map. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. All right, so this movie opens with a, a, a very graphic credit sequence of Man. just young black men dead. Do you in think the those streets. were real photos? I don't think they were real. I think they were staged. Really? Because yeah. if they were staged, they were expertly staged. Well, even you see later in the movie with, um, we'll talk about Daryl, his character later after he gets shot. I thought that the, I guess the aftermath that they set up, the, yeah. the prosthetics and everything looked really good. Yeah, definitely. But uh, I cut you off. But the, the movie opens with just photo after photo of crime scenes of, of young black men and mm-hmm. women who have been murdered. Yeah, oh, we assume they've been murdered. Um, yeah, really. There's like a, a woman who was hanging over a railing, and that's the one that I was like, "Man, this looks so real." Like she, as if she was running, mm-hmm. and she's bent over this rail, and her shoe is halfway off. And I, was, I, I kind of didn't like watching it. I was like, this, yeah. "This looks very real to me." It, and, it looked real, and it was very long too. Yeah, I'd be in, I'd be interested to know if they were fake or real. I'm but. relatively certain they were staged, but okay. um, but yeah, they were very graphic and very difficult to look at, which is exactly what he was going for, I'm sure. Um, so we open up with a group of uh, young men talking about rappers being hard, um, whether being hard and their image helps them sell records, just stuff you and I talk about, pretty much. Pretty yeah, much. I mean, who's your favorite rapper? Uh, the B. B Rabbit. <laughs> uh, uh, I like E Rabbit, the Energized yeah, oh. Rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. He doesn't stop. No, he doesn't. No. Um, so it ends with Rocco Klein and Larry Mazzilli, who we'll talk about later, um, basically reporting the scene of a murder. Yes. So this opening scene that that I just spoke about is it sets up a lot of themes that are pervasive throughout this movie. People creating an image for themselves but don't necessarily have the um, resume to back it up. And does that matter? Does mm-hmm. killing somebody make you more hard, as they're saying? More, uh, or, more street cred? Yeah. Or do you have to kill anyone to have that credit? doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, which are things that kind of come up over and over again. Um, but we, we see Delroy Lindo come up pretty quickly. His name is Rodney. He tells his son Strike, played by McKee Pfeiffer. Mackay. Um, I thought Pfeiffer. it was McKee. Mackay. It's Mackay? Okay. Yeah. Who Mackay I really like. Pfeiffer. Who I also really like as, as an actor. I think he's very... Uh, he's younger in this movie. Yeah. And he's got... you know He's a little kind of, raw in this movie. Yeah. Um, but I think he's a mature... As he got older, I think he's a, he's a good actor. But he's, yeah. he's also good in this... He's great in this movie. But yeah. You can tell he's very young. Yeah. But he, he basically tells them that he needs... T- him to kill a um a man who's basically preventing people from uh what is called clocking in his establishment so he's a manager of a restaurant he won't allow drugs to be sold there so um rodney wants strike to basically take him out to open up that market yeah he tells strike um who's not really his son yeah he's he's like his son yeah rodney takes him under his wing yeah he's kind of his boss but he he tells him uh this is where we start to see 
Rodney and how, and his attract uh, his attractiveness to these young men mm-hmm. who who work for him is that he um he obviously has a relationship with Strike. He says, "You're like my son. I had a vision about you. You're going to be my sword and my staff." And yeah. it's at the time I was like, "Oh man, this is cool. He's like a father. For, like he wants to take care of him." But then you, I think you quickly realize he's he does care about him, but he's manipulating him to to do dirty work basically yeah. and to move yeah. to quote move up. Taken it, off the bench is what he says. Yeah, taken. Thank you. Yeah, if if you want to be taken off the bench, this is how you can can do that. So mm-hmm. that's where we first start to see the the kind of the hold Rodney has on the community mm-hmm. as this leader who was really kind of like a drug, like a kingpin. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think we see really early on that Strike isn't necessarily into the idea of all this. No. Um, I don't know if we learn in the first act whether or not he's into trains, but he likes model trains. Yeah. Which is very much, you know, stereotypically not a thing that you would think a young black man in the projects would be into. Sure. And people make fun of him all the time for that. They make fun of him for having a train obsession. Um, later on in the movie, a cop basically says, like, do you like basketball? And he says, no, I don't like sports. I don't like sports, yeah. And he says, don't lie to me. You've been dunking since you came out of the womb Ye- and stuff like yeah. that. And it's like, man... I feel like people probably do think that way about young black men most of the time. Like he's probably an athlete or he probably only likes sports and doesn't have other interests. Yeah. A note on that is that it's so fun to watch some of these movies. And I, I really enjoyed watching this one. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, as we talked about in Mallrats, watching it in today's climate and just the, 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 the rape jokes and like the, yeah. the, the, the crazy things that you can't talk about now yeah. are just rampant in that movie. And this movie, um, it's not that you can't talk about them, but it's just we're dealing with the same stuff now yeah. to like 211. We've cranked it up. It's, mm-hmm. it's right there at the front. And so to see this white cop, as you just mentioned, kind of shake down this guy. And really, th- there's a scene in the opening where these, these, these cops show up and they mm-hmm. do a, an actual shakedown. And yeah. they're like very abusive to these oh, black yeah. men. Now, granted, these guys are selling drugs and they're poisoning their community. Yeah. But you see both sides. You, knowing what we know now about police, it's like they they really they like they're physically abusive with these mm-hmm. guys. They're they swear at them. They manipulate them. You know, it's it's crazy to watch just knowing like having a picture of that today. Yeah. And seeing how it was going on back then, and Spike Lee just captured it so realistically, I think, mm-hmm. and so perfect. But you're right. Strike is a really interesting character for me because he doesn't. You can tell he doesn't enjoy working for Rodney. Mm-hmm. He, to our knowledge, doesn't have a father figure in his life. So Rodney kind of is that figure. He has a mom, mm-hmm. and he has an older brother, but uh, he suffers from his ulcer. Yeah. So he doesn't drink. He's not drinking a forty with all these guys who always are. He's always drinking chocolate moo, which yeah. is, I guess, like yuho. I don't yeah. know if that was a real drink. Maybe it was. I think it is. Yeah. Um, and or Pepto Bismol, or yeah, he moves on to that. But but yeah, yeah you're right. He uh, and which I think the 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 ulcer is this great device, mm-hmm. and they never say it's an ulcer, but it's got you know it's got to be what it is. Yeah. But he's so stressed out from this world that he lives in. Everything is a pro- he's always confronted with problems. He's always getting made fun of, and then he gets asked to murder a guy, and so this ulcer is kind of this awesome trigger we see of like. Anytime he has to face this, he it flares up and he mm-hmm. gets anxious and yeah he he doesn't like the world. I don't think he enjoys the world he lives in. No, not at all. Um, so he he gets sent to what is this place called Ahab's, which has yeah. a very cool neon sign of the white whale with the harpoons in it. Yeah, people that, order whale burgers, which was weird. Yeah, but, but it's kind I of get, cool spot. I'd go there. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, but he's sent to kill this guy, and basically, <laughs> as Gabe mentioned, he has this ulcer. 
he starts getting this bad feeling about it. He's waiting outside with a gun inside of a newspaper to go kill this guy. Um, he goes to a local bar, and his brother Victor is actually there that we spoke about earlier. Mm-hmm. They kind of talk about him, and you know, he says that he's a womanizer and all this stuff, and he's telling Victor we need to like go take care of this guy. And Victor's like, yeah, somebody should take care of him. But Victor doesn't end up following him, and, and uh, Strike goes back outside. And yeah, well, Victor, Victor, this is an important note because yeah. Victor says um, he agrees, mm-hmm. and we, we don't know till the end. But Victor was going through a lot at the bar. He was yeah. he's been drinking. Um, we we don't know what he's really necessarily going through. But he says uh, he kind of tells Strike like, "I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to get involved." As a big brother, he's trying to protect Strike, mm-hmm. and he says, "My my I have a man. My guy will do it. My man will do it." Mm-hmm. But you don't know what that means. Yeah. And uh, but then continue. Mackay Fiverr Strike does go back yeah. to the store. And this is where things get a little bit obscured. Um, he walks up to the window, taps on it. The guy comes out. They start talking. Um, and the other guy starts making fun of him for his trains yeah, and, and other things. Yeah. Um, and so right before we at least assume that Strike shot him, um, it kind of zooms in on his face and things just kind of go like white like that. And it cuts, and the guy is dead, and Strike is gone. So we don't know exactly what happened, but Strike we're is there. I thought he was gone at this point because this is when the cops show up. He's he's at the crime scene. He's standing. Oh right. yeah, we yeah. saw the crime scene, but he's not like in. Oh front yeah, of yeah, him yeah. Anymore. No, but he's he's behind the yellow tape and everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is when um, Rocco Klein <laughs> and Larry Mazzilli show up. Rocco Klein is Harvey Keitel. Larry Mazzilli is John Torturo. They show up, and, and this was also a very disturbing scene where... Very disturbing. Uh, you have this dead, young black man on the ground, face down, or face up, with like a huge bullet wound in his head, three shots in his chest, he's bloody everywhere. And you have all these older white cops who are really desensitized to it, who come up and basically make fun of him. And yeah. just like poke fun at him, they talk about him and who he is and how he ended up where he is, making jokes, and it was disturbing. Yeah, punny type jokes about you know getting shot and and they're they're like poking at him and and they've got gloves on, they're touching his body and looking around and um, as you said, desensitized. They've seen this a million times, and so mm-hmm. that's I guess that's how they deal with it. But it, it is it's a sad scene because. This is a human yeah. who was murdered. We don't know anything about the guy who was killed. Really, yeah. we know what rodney has said about him yeah and that that he's not letting them clock in his establishment but yeah yeah we learn later on that apparently he's a pretty stand-up guy i mean he was trying to get drugs out of his restaurant um yeah. and he's just trying to make an honest living so you know that makes it and it's not great either way but it makes it all the worse but as you mentioned before um we do see uh rocco klein go through a crowd of people and we do see strike there watching everything yeah um, who at this point it didn't really seem too shattered about it. He was just kind of there spectating. So the next uh, act opens up with Strike reporting back to Rodney. They're going to set up a drug operation in that store basically now that uh, Daryl is gone. Um, and later on, this act is going to end with Strike's quote-unquote little brother, a kid in the neighborhood that comes in periodically throughout this act, um, killing someone. Um, so... This is where things really start to take off. This is where the story really starts to come together. Um, but we start to see um, the cops start to like poke around a little bit, right? And so they come to Victor, who is Strike's brother, yes, and start questioning him. And he just opens up and says that I did it. Yeah, and takes um, the fall for it. Takes the fall for it, and it's uh, it's an interesting scene because he's he's obviously well. The th- the, th- the great thing about this movie is at this point we don't we don't know 
who killed this man. Mm-hmm. But Harvey Keitel does not buy Victor's lie. Yeah. Victor is his big brother. He's protecting Strike. And Harvey Keitel's like, why are you doing this? And, v- and Victor's just like, I'm not lying to you. I, I did it. Mm-hmm. Put me away. Well, he's also suspicious because Victor has two kids. He has yeah. two, jobs. two jobs. He's working hard. He yeah. stays away from drugs. He, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, so. he's suspicious for good reason. Yeah. But that's what I mean. It's instead of just that for some reason, um, Harvey Keitel's character is really, and they talk about this later, but he's very invested <coughs> in figuring this out. Yeah. As much as they joke at the beginning over a dead body, as soon as this guy lies about it, it sets off this chain of events of, of trying to figure out why this dude was murdered and, and why Victor is covering up. And it all leads back to Strike. Why is everyone trying to protect... Not everyone, but like, why is Strike the center of this? Why are people trying to take the fall for him? Mm-hmm. Again, you just said Tyrone, this, this kid in his, uh, in his tenement, his tenement his, uh, in the projects, shoots a guy, and mm-hmm. we learn that it's sort of out of fear trying to protect Strike. So yeah. it, it sets off this investigation that leads us through the movie. And I think that there are some also there are also some really great um, subplots that kind of emerge in this act and and get fully resolved. This is definitely the best film we've watched so far. Yeah, has the best script. It actually resolves its issues. Uh, maybe not always in the most dramatic way, but it, it definitely resolves everything. We meet a character named Andre the Giant, um, who we mentioned earlier was played by Keith David. We meet Tyrone's mom, who mm-hmm. is always very upset at strike for basically being around her son because she knows that strike is a clocker she knows that strike is you know possibly part of a gang he has a gun all this stuff and, and so and, and strike has the thing about strike being again he's such an interesting character because you want to empathize with him because he's going through all this stuff but he's also getting himself into all this yeah. these situations he yeah. he pulls this kid aside just like uh, Delroy Lindo does to him and starts to teach him the trade. Mm-hmm. He's sitting there, there's a scene where he shows him all of his trains and then he also is like rationing out coke. Yeah. And, and he's like showing him how to chop it up and why it has to be this fine and why you, you know, you, he's giving him these lessons and he shows him his gun and says, if I ever see you with one of these, I'll kill you. You know, basically trying to be that, that mentor figure. Yeah. But... He's basically becoming like Rodney. He's, he's yeah. having somebody underneath him. He, he's, it's weird because he's giving the kid someone to look up to, and yet he's teaching him these devious and dark things. But even in that scene, what I thought was interesting is there, he plays both sides of it. At first, he's like, if I catch you around these drugs, I'm going to hurt you. Mm. And then it cuts to him talking about the gun. He's like, don't mess with guns. They're bad news. But then it cuts back to the drugs, and he's like, this is how you do it. Yeah. And so it's, it's like he's like gaslighting the kid or something. Yeah. It's it's very strange. And, and and he pays for that because the kid uh, won't leave him alone. The kid mm-hmm. wants to be accepted. Idolizes him. Wants yeah. to be cool. He's in the same, uh, again, same yard, same housing project. And the kid's, he basically takes the kid to get a haircut. Mm-hmm. Starts hanging out with him. His mom realizes, she comes out, it's a great scene. And she's like, who did this? Mm-hmm. Her, his mom is out of that world. She lives there, but she doesn't want to be in. She just, obviously, he's protecting her boy. And she, it's... It's a great scene because this woman is coming out, this strong woman, you know, asking who did this, saying, I know your name, I know your mother, and she's pointing mm-hmm. to all these guys. And all these guys, of course, are just laughing the whole time, you know, like that disrespectful young yeah. kids do, right? Like teenage, they're teenagers, they're older than that, really. They're like young adult, mm-hmm. probably what, like 19, 18, 19. Um, and Strike is once again put in the situation of having to be cool in front of his friends. Mm-hmm. He can't fess up to the fact, he won't fess up that it's him. He doesn't want to, 
But he's also, his friends are laughing because this woman is in his face, slapping yeah. him around, and he's trying to be tough. He's always, get out of my face. Yeah, he's don't. like, don't touch me again. Yeah, he, he tries to be out. so tough, but yeah. really he just doesn't have it in him to, to be hard. Yeah. He tries, though. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another great character that we're introduced to, as I mentioned earlier, is, is Andre the Giant. Yeah, um, he's community a, cop. A community cop that lives in the projects and is very invested in the people there. Um, played by Keith David, great character that just he kind of plays the equalizer in the yeah. group. So he'll come out anytime there's a big scuffle. He'll come out and mediate everything. Um, you know, he takes Strike aside specifically and takes him, cuffs him, and takes him to the precinct. And he he lets him go, but he's like, this is. Where you're going to end up yeah. if you don't clean things up. He really he's escaped that world. He he's a cop now. He's trying to he's trying to do his best to give back to the community. Mm-hmm. He tells that little boy Tyrone, he's like, I don't want to see you hanging out with Strike again. Yeah. I mean, he really makes his best effort, and despite his best effort, things don't don't go well. But um, he's a great character. Keith David's awesome in this movie. Yeah. And, and one thing that I actually don't like about this movie and about the second act in particular, I know that you need it. But it does become a lot about the whodunit. And I know that the movie needs that, but I wanted more of Strike. I wanted more of Andre the Giant than I did of the police procedural of them trying to figure out who was responsible for the murder. Because that, Hmm. to me, wasn't as interesting. And I understand why it's there. I understand the movie needs it. But I almost feel like there's a better version of this movie out there where the cops aren't really involved at all. Hmm. Because, like I said, I felt like those parts just took momentum from the movie. Yeah, I, I want to save thoughts on that for the end. Yeah. Just when we're talking about the impact of the, of the film. But uh, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, but I, I want to I save that for when we're giving our final thoughts. Okay. I just use that as a, as a reason to say that I really don't have many notes left for about a, for Act 2. Um, basically... Um, Things just kind of escalate. Strikes ulcer gets worse. There's actually a really nice scene where there's a montage of all these drug deals happening, but Strike is staying inside and just playing with his trains. Yeah. And it cuts back and forth, and I really like that scene. Yeah, he has to go to the hospital and finally get seen, you yeah. know, and uh, picked up. And, and there, there is a, an interesting scene, I, I believe this is in Act 2, um, where he's picked up from the hospital right when he... Uh, Rodney is giving him a hard time. Yeah. And, and I think part of Act 2 that is interesting is that Harvey Keitel keeps showing up to the projects. Mm-hmm. And he's focusing all of his energy on Strike. And anytime he does that, Strike's friends see it. They know exactly what's going on. And Delroy Lindo, Rodney, sees it. And he's every time he's straight to Strike and says, what did he want? Why is he talking to you? Mm-hmm. And the truth is, he's just asking about his brother. Yeah. Um, but it all leads back to Rodney, right? Because Rodney put the hit out on this guy. Yeah. And Strike is put in the position of, the scary position of having to tell your boss who is a drug dealer, the yeah. kingpin of this community. He didn't, he just, you know, same old stuff. He's just being a cop. He's just trying to figure out. And, and Delroy Lindo is very wary of that. And it puts Strike in a dangerous position because mm-hmm. he could just kill Strike whenever he wants. If, if he starts to think Strike is involved with the cops positively, if he's helping them, then he's screwed. Yeah. Um, but that's the scene, right? He picks him up in the, ho- uh, the hospital, not the hotel, <laughs> and they're in the car, and he, he basically gets upset with Rodney. Yeah, he like pulls on his hair and like threatens to shoot him, puts the gun in his mouth. Yeah, so that, that, was, a, that <laughs> yeah. was a great heavy, heavy scene because Strike is upset 
Rodney's like, why, why, why did he come talk to you again? And Strike basically says, man, F you, Rodney. Yeah. And Rodney pulls over the car and really flexes his muscles and, sh- and like takes his gun, yeah. puts it in his mouth, beats on him, and says, basically, if you ever do any of this again, I'll, I'll just kill you. Which is a direct callback to how Rodney got involved. Correct. Because a character that I briefly mentioned that we'll talk about in a few minutes, Errol. Who's um, wonderful. Yeah, he's, he's, he's horrible, but he's great. Um, he was, I guess, kind of where Rodney is at some point. Now he's kind of on drugs and is just kind of like hanging around the, the, the projects. Um, but he was kind of a higher level guy mm-hmm. in, in a crime organization. And Rodney witnessed him kill two guys. And so to make sure that Rodney had a reason not to rat him out, he makes him kill the third guy. And for a second, Rodney's like, no, I, I don't want to do it. And to be clear, this is a flashback to like 10 years earlier. He's like, I don't want to do it. And Errol puts the gun in his mouth and says, do it or I'm going to kill you. Yeah. Puts so, a shotgun in his mouth. Yeah. Which is crazy. So it's a cycle. Everything just kind of yeah. you know, a, and, feeds into everything else. Yeah. And so it, it's an interesting dynamic because uh, Errol is... I, I wanted, Yeah, I want to talk about Errol in a minute, but he's mm-hmm. always there and he's kind of just strung out and high and, and mm-hmm. he's crazy. Like he could kill anyone. And, yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's a cycle. We see how Ronnie started and now it's affecting Strike. And this is where things start to uh, become tense between Rodney and Strike. Uh, Rodney threatens Strike with death if he talks to the cops anymore. He's like, you can't talk to them at all. Mm-hmm. They call them the homo side. Yeah. Because um, they're homicide cops. Um, Rodney gets taken to the precinct by Klein and Mazzilli. So they pick him up and you know say, we believe that you're somehow responsible for this. I don't remember what charge they get him on, but they actually arrest him. At this point, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know why they they bring him in. Maybe it's that's a good point. I don't know why they bring him in, but it's yeah. a, um, I think it was conspiracy or something like that. Yeah, more good more good scenes though, because this is the tension is really just getting cranked up here with yeah. with Harvey Keitel demanding the truth, uh, and he just can't get it. Yeah. M- Mackay Pfeiffer or Strike for whatever reason is just that's why the movie is so great is because you. You as the viewer don't know who he's. Is he protecting yeah. someone? Why is he just not being truthful? Is he, he's protecting himself? Yeah. And he's just—it's just conflict, man. It's great. It's very, very tense. Yeah. And I—I was—I was in. I was really in. Mm-hmm. Strike attempts to run away with money that he's been saving on the side. Um, he tries to make a few things right as well on the way out. He tries to pay for his brother's bail money, um, but this is where he comes back to the projects. And uh, Tyrone, the quote-unquote little brother that's kind of been around him, is trying to give a gun back to him. And he just keeps blowing him off because, you know, he's told the kid, like, don't come around me anymore. Like, I'm tired of you being around and being exposed to this. But it ends up biting him in in the butt because um, Tyrone ends up shooting Errol. So Errol is kind of like bugging out by Strike's car. Um, Tyrone sees this and idolizing strike the way that he does wants to take care of the problem he has a gun so he shoots him a couple of times and this is the scene that i kind of referred to in our last episode of a director who does really cool things with the camera and ends up paying off because a lot of this scene is them recounting the issues because tyrone gets taken to the jail and they, they question him and so they put this really soft but it's still harsh white light on him everything is very like I love up this scene. close, a lot of fish eye lens. 
there's a scene, a part of the scene where Harvey Keitel is on the side of this pulley. You can tell when mm-hmm. the kid is riding a bike up to Errol and you see him asking questions, but it's in real time. It's so hard to describe, but it worked so well. Yeah, yeah, it worked really well. The, this kid is, you know, this kid is, what, like 11? Yeah, something like that. Um, yeah. and, and, and he does act... And initially you think maybe he's just trying to be hard and he just goes and shoots Errol, but he mm-hmm. is, it's been established. He's afraid of Errol. He's, yeah. he, he, you know, um, and so for some reason, Kaitel in this scene uh, and, and Andre the giant is there, the cop is there and that he's questioning this kid to just try and see what happened. And he realizes the kid shot the guy. Yeah. Like he, he completely understands why and that's why it's such a beautiful scene for some reason again Kaitel is invested in all of this he's mm-hmm. he helps this kid by basically crafting a lie mm-hmm. that i sh- that you shot delroy out of fear and or, or not self-defense really but speeding him a story right yeah. so he, he rehearses it with him then he records his <clears throat> confession of it but he still he needs the kid to do it because he wants to know where the kid got the gun that and he wants to find out if it was from strike and if it was because strike is the cop believes, Kaitel believes Strike has been playing him the whole movie, and he mm-hmm. kind of has been playing him. And it, it pisses him off so bad that he has to find the truth. But back to your point, it's a beautiful scene of Kaitel crafting the story for this kid, and it was done so artistically, and the light was cool, and, and it showing this kid like being this pure, can we save this like young... He's an 11-year-old murderer now. Mm-hmm. He was turned into a murderer because of Strike. Yeah. Despite Strike's, I don't want to say best efforts, but... Despite his efforts, fifty fifty. Yeah, there's so many things. We, I think you could. It's not the point of our show, but you could really talk about the depth of like just the consequences of our actions yeah. and the cycle that we all have to, that these guys have to live in, that, that we have to face, and it's just it gets deeper and deeper and deeper, and it's mm-hmm. great. Yeah. Um, so Act Three uh, begins with Tyrone essentially implicating Strike. And saying that he accidentally bought the gun from him. He was trying to give it back. Strike wasn't taking it. He was ignoring him. And so that's the reason he had the gun. And so that gives um, Klein a reason to go pick him up. Um, So Strike turns himself in because he actually knows that Rodney's following him at this point. He realizes... Um, and his ulcer is kind of at peak level right now. He's vomiting blood everywhere. Yeah. Well, he um, get, he gets the crap beat out of him too. Yeah. By, by Andre the Giant. By Andre the, yeah. by the cop. And uh, that's a great scene because the the cop's so frustrated. He did all this stuff. And he's like, I've told you. Basically, he he says, I don't ever want to see you here again. Yeah. And uh, he he kicks him out of the community. Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting moment because uh, Rodney is there, who's been in prison. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we mentioned that, but he got arrested. Yeah. Went to prison. Mm-hmm. Because of Strike, essentially, yeah, and and there's like kind of a loose allusion to him, not ratting on Rodney, but Rodney gets picked up mm-hmm. under suspicion, and but in this scene where uh, Strike is getting beat up, the camera shifts over and Rodney's there and he's watching, yeah, and Keith David, the Andre the Giant, sees Rodney and basically like the the camera not the camera the director spike lee is letting you know that he's going to just let rodney just pursue strike yeah because strike has done all this the kid has shot get rid of the problem right so he's like i never want to see you here again strike sees rodney says oh shit gets in a car drives away and rodney follows him to kill him or whatever and he goes and turns himself in at the precinct rodney also called errol uh when he was in jail saying we need to take care of strike yes and that's why he was in this in front of his car in the first place right um so strike turns himself in um, and, and things kind of move 
pretty quickly from here on out. Um, strikes get, uh, strike gets set free because the stories end up being true. So this whole time we've been led to believe that Strike is actually the one that killed Daryl. Um, but it turns out that the likely story is, and I don't think we really know 100% yeah. this is true, that it actually was self-defense. Victor was trying to help his brother out in a way, and Strike actually didn't kill Daryl. Right. Um, and so that gets Victor out of jail on self-defense. Strike gets to go home. Everything well, somewhere. We well, he gets, he goes, yeah, yeah, he gets to like leave basically, yeah. which yeah. is much better than jail. Yeah. Um, so you know everything gets kind of a nice bow, except for I think Harvey Keitel's story ends up a little. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't say sad, but they um, Strike does bring up a good question because Harvey Keitel drives him to Penn Station to get on a train to leave. Mm-hmm. And Strike says, why do you care, man? Like, Why do you care any, about me, my brother, yeah, my mom? Any other cop, black on black crime, nobody cares. Why do you care? And we don't really get an answer. Yeah, Harvey Kai tells us, like, just leave. He says, just get out of the car. Yeah. Or like, if I, oh, he, he threatens him. If I, if if I, I ever you see again, you yeah. again, I'll put you in the same cell as Rodney. Yeah. Same bed. You'll, you'll, like, you'll be dead, basically. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, was, could, I was confused a little bit on Victor, mm-hmm. Strike's brother, who... Turns out is this amazing man, gives back, works two jobs, really fights the whole movie to stop this whole drug trade in his neighborhood and everything. Um, it says it was self-defense. So like you said, it's confusing. Is, are we supposed to think that there was a moment with this guy who got murdered where they had an altercation at some point and he actually did kill him? Or was it one of the friends? Was it my man that he references, like some random guy? Cause yeah, yeah. I don't know why he got out on self-defense. Like there was nothing that to me was concrete. The, yeah. mo- the mom comes in and says, he swears it was self-defense. Believe him. Yeah. But I think they just let him out. I think they just like to yeah. help him out. They he said it was my out. man scientific. Right. They say they scientific did it. And I think that you can probably glean that maybe that's the true story. But, but then again, we don't really know. Right. I, you can, you can glean that might be the true story because at the end of the movie, uh, the kind of denouement we see, Scientific is actually shot dead. Yes. So maybe he made somebody mad and right. somebody found out maybe and, and killed him. Yeah. So maybe that's the real story. But that's the thing is we don't really get closure, which I think is fine because that's kind of how the justice system works. Like yeah. some people get screwed, some don't, and you, there's no real rhyme and reason behind it. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that that was poignant, and I think that um, I think that that worked nicely for me. I think that wrapped up things in a way that that I appreciated. And the very last scene is actually Strike riding away in a train, mm-hmm. which earlier in the movie they mentioned, you like trains so much, but you've only ever ridden the subway. Andre the Giant is telling Strike this, you should take a real train. And so that's kind of nice. He gets his like, yeah. it's, goodbye. It's a beautiful, uh, there's, there's a beautiful ending <clears throat> to me and a painful ending. And mm-hmm. you, you referenced it briefly, but beautiful in that almost everyone ends up happy. Victor does get out of prison. Strike is put on a train somewhere. Shorty, Tyrone. Um, it's it's actually really cool. Tyrone is now... Th- th- there's a wonderful moment, as we've talked about with Harvey Keitel, leading Tyrone through this story of, of what you were 11, you shot this guy, and he says, you were scared. You are embarrassed that you... <coughs> you're embarrassed that you choose to speak proper English. You're embarrassed mm-hmm. that you get straight A's, and you want to fit in, and you want to be cool, and, um, and you were trying to help out Strike. And at the end of the movie... 
Tyrone is playing with the same train set, yeah. kind of being a nerd, talking about electricity after World War II and how they built these trains that can run on power, you know, that no, no longer run on batteries. It's a story that Strike told him. Right. Yeah. So it's beautiful because Victor's out, Strike is on a train, Tyrone is embracing who he really is. We feel like Tyrone's not going to fall into the same pattern like mm-hmm. he started to. He killed a man, but he's redeemed by the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's not going to be in trouble for it. Um, and so all the protagonists are where they should be in the end, but painful um, because it doesn't end well for Harvey Keitel. Yeah. And he's such a stubborn cop. And after, as you said, he sits silently in his car. He, he, he kicks Strike out at Penn Station. And there's a great moment where this man, he's just sitting there. And this guy selling newspapers knocks on his window, trying to sell him the, the latest paper. And he holds it up and he says, justice in black and white. And it's this big ad this black ink with big white letters that says justice in black and white. And Kaitel just looks at him quietly and just says, no, thank you. Cause it's not in black and white. Yeah. And that's the whole point is that he did all this work. He invested so much, all these questions, all these loose threads and it kind of for nothing. Yeah. And as you said, the movie ends with the movie ends the same way it starts. Another black man has been shot. Mm-hmm. The cops are called and they're investigating his death. Yeah. Bunch of yellow police tape. Everyone's there. And the whole process starts all over again. Mm-hmm. So to me, it was a really sad ending because, I mean, happy for, for the people who just went through it. But now I just know they're going to start the whole thing over oh, again yeah. and yeah. just go all th- go through it. And so, yeah. but I think that's the point. It's like, there is no answer here. Mm-hmm. It's just why, why do the cops do some of the things they do? Why do they make some of the choices they do? And, and there's no real, the justice system screwed up. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Um, I, those were kind of your final thoughts, right? They, they were. Yes. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Yeah, they were. Yeah. I, I, if you want me to, I, yeah. I have one little, yeah. two, two issues. Spike Lee's choice of music is always kind of odd to me. Yeah. So um, bring that up too. Partly, partly, partly reflective of the, of the time. There's some good seal music thrown in there. <laughs> um, but there, the opening montage of those shots is this like, kind of this like sweet, upbeat like song which is odd mm-hmm. and then the, the the scene where keith david is beating the crap out of strike yeah is underscored by this happy it's like r&b like yeah like, like light-hearted pop. r&b music yeah and i that was such a heavy scene i don't i don't know if spike lee did it to, because apparently the book is also kind of funny yeah and there are some funny moments in this movie so maybe it's just showing this is not a big deal. This happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Doesn't have to be super heavy, but I thought that was a little bit weird. And then the other thing is, Totoro is totally underutilized. Mm-hmm. I, th- I read that he's a big character in the book. Yeah, and in this movie, he's kind of just there. He's in four or five scenes, probably. Yeah, and he doesn't he doesn't really do anything other than yeah. contribute to the negative attitude. He's kind of the have. by the numbers cop. Yeah, and and he, he's clients. the guy who doesn't care. He's yeah. the guy who's like, let's move, whatever. He did it, you know, and. Uh, you just underutilized, but that's mm-hmm. right. Cool. Recommend? Don't recommend? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, I was blown away by the movie. I think it really, for me, it, it, just the last third of the movie yeah, really cranked it up and, and just made me enjoy it a lot. And it all kind of comes together. It might take a while to get there, but you should definitely watch this movie. I, I, I had no idea. I've seen this movie at Blockbuster like a billion times. The cover mm. of it is kind of iconic now, but I, yeah, I've never never thought to watch it, and I'm glad we, I'm glad we watched it. So you should watch it. All right, yeah, I I really appreciate Spike Lee as a director because he at least has a very clear vision of a world that I know nothing about. I don't know what his history is like, and I don't know if he was involved in any of this. But 
the movies that I have seen have been pretty consistent tonally at addressing these issues. So yeah. he's at very least passionate about these things. Um, I think the story was crafted very well. Everything gets resolved, and you, you know whether or not you agree that it was an impactful ending and that everything kind of ended too neatly. I have seen that um, tossed around in some reviews that I've read. I don't know why it shouldn't be that way. I think it's a nice ending and it still has a pretty sad ending that this is going to happen again. And it's going to keep happening. And this was 95 and it's 2018 and it's still, it's happening. still happening. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can, it, the Bronx, it's, it's crazy. The South Bronx are just certainly still like this. Yeah. Um, interesting it, that this is uh, Bedford Stuyvesant. Yeah. And now it's like full of hips, <laughs> hipsters and co- like coffee, coffee shops. shops yeah. And totally stuff. different yeah. than it was then, but to- that's a different movie from Spike Lee. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah. Once again, he takes some very interesting risks with the camera and I think it pays off. Sometimes he does this weird thing where he'll show something in kind of slow motion three times from a different angle mm-hmm. for a pretty trivial thing. Like when the mom came and yelled at Spike or uh, strike about corrupting her son, she took a swing at his head and he kind of ducked and, yeah. We saw three angles in slow-mo, and I was like, why? Yeah. Weird. I, I agree. So he doesn't always bat 100%, but I like some things that he does. The music to me was very strange, but I also noticed this in Black Klansman. Yep. The theme was a good theme, but it got played 500 times, and by the end of the movie, I was so tired of hearing that. Bam, bam, da, 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 da. Yeah, I agree. It was odd. Very so he odd. does the same thing in this. Uh, acting across the board was amazing. Wonderful. I, I, I love this movie, and I've always wanted to watch more Spike Lee, and this may be something that kind of pushes me over the edge um, and gets me to watch a few more of his movies, but I, I would recommend it to anyone. Yeah, this is odd, but I think, I'm, I think I'll watch this movie again. I don't, mm-hmm. Probably not anytime soon, but it's worth, um, it's worth a, a rewatch for sure, and uh, yeah. I, it'll, I'll throw it on the... Clear some things up, I'm sure. Yeah, and, and just to kind of marinate in the message of the movie mm-hmm. and sort of try to be a little bit, a little bit more socially conscious as to like why some of this stuff happens and, and maybe you don't know why some of it happens, mm-hmm. but at least to be aware of, of the way this works. It's a, it's a good reflection on that. Definitely. Definitely. All right, let's go ahead and move into the draft, Gabe. All right, so this week we're doing something a little bit different with the directors. I did this mainly because I've only seen like three Spike Lee movies, so I didn't really want to do a draft that way. So we're going to go ahead and do movies that are based in New York City because I feel like that's Mm. pretty broad. I like that. So we're going to get a top three of New York City-based movies. I believe that you went first last time. Is that correct? Uh, Yeah, I think (coughs) you are correct. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and kick this one off then. Um, I think that there is a New York City movie that is oft regarded as one of the greatest movies of all time. So I would be remiss if I did not take The Godfather. All right. That's a good choice. See, I thought about The Godfather, but it takes place in so many locations. Sicily. But I mean, most, yeah, obviously, yeah. It's, it's based New- here. I know, yeah. It's mostly in New York. It, but, come um, on. It's based here. Hey, but you know, but it's, it, it's, not a, it, it's not about New York, though. Yeah. I don't think it has to be about. No, it right. doesn't. But I, yeah. but I'll give you an example. So that that's a good that's a good choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is a contentious topic because people are going to go, "Why didn't you choose blank?" There's going to be so many you could oh, you yeah. could pick. Um, We've only got three though. Yeah, I know that's <laughs> true. Um, I 
This isn't. This is the world of New York we all really want it to be. It's not this way. Mm-hmm. This movie is an idyllic picture of New York. It is Upper West Side. Yeah. So that's probably why it's idyllic. But in terms of it being a great New York movie, it's it's got to be You've Got Mail. Okay. Yeah, that was on my list pretty early on. But it is such a fake. I love that movie to death. It, yeah. It, it's not fake, and it is fake. Yeah. It's so accurate in its portrayal of like utter like liberal, uh, you know, high society. I read books all day and drink. Mocha yeah. of cappuccinos and <laughs> and talk about you know, but it is a great film. It is a great movie, but yeah. it's it's a great New York movie. Yeah, it's a it's a love letter to New York. City. Makes you feel nostalgic about New York, even though you live there, and you're yeah. like, man, yeah, you're like, oh man, is New York the, can be great. Is this the city I live in? I, I don't know, <laughs> but it is. It's a great New York. Movie. All right, you got your second pickup. Um, people are gonna be mad at me, but I, I'm gonna stick on the romantic comedy train and go when Harry met Sally. All right, I don't I don't disagree with that. Um, I, I think I'm just well. Well, maybe after we we give our final choices, go yeah. ahead. Uh, man, you left me with with some good ones still. Yeah. Um, I got two in a row. I've got quite a few written down here, so I'm definitely gonna take up Annie Hall. Okay. Um, Annie like Hall that. is a classic comedy. Um, another New York based movie that I think will cater well to the the audience that we have. Wait, let, let me guess your second one. Home Wait. Alone two. Lost in New oh, York. my third one. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, your third one, not your second. Man, but, I should have taken home. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That would not. Muppets take Manhattan. You think maybe? <laughs> I, I legitimately think that could work. Actually, it could. It yeah. could. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and go with one that I actually haven't seen, and I feel guilty about this. But I know that it is a, an amazing film. I'm going to take Taxi Driver. Great. I also haven't seen Taxi Driver, but it's up there. Not. Although I did see his uh, most recent film, the writer of uh, had Ethan Hawke in it. What was it called? Oh, First Reform. First Reform. Fantastic great. movie. Great film. Not a New York movie, but I loved no. it. No. Uh, okay, so it's my turn. Yep. Last pick. Uh, I, I so I don't know that this is going to be a, a popular. I mean, it's going to be a popular choice. I'm doing this based on a picture of New York City. Yeah. I'm not doing it based on it being a great movie. Although, I think this is a great movie. Um, I'm going to choose in the vein of Spike Lee, do the right thing because okay. it is such a great picture of, of early nineties, late eighties, Brooklyn. And, uh, it's, if you just want to see like Spike Lee, as we just talked about, he's so good at capturing the feel yeah. of like black, white immigrant mm-hmm. New York city in a, in a specific, su- uh, not a suburb, like a specific area. And, and I think that's a, a good picture of like stoops and mm-hmm. yeah, just the, the culture. I think that's a good pick as well. I had that on my list too. All right. So my top three for New York City based movies are The Godfather, Annie Hall, and Taxi Driver. Gabe's picks are You've Got Mail, When Harry Met Sally, and Do the Right Thing. I wonder if people are going to be mad if we didn't do Manhattan since it's called Manhattan. That's true. There are a lot of things with Manhattan in the title. Yeah, I mean, you know, and why didn't you? Why didn't you pick my, my movie? I mean, you know, I didn't soon ye. I mean, yeah. Wow. You don't do that enough. What, Woody Allen? Yeah. My terrible Woody Allen impression? You should do a whole episode. <laughs> As Woody Allen? As Woody Allen. I mean, we're not going to have this conversation again. I mean, <laughs> I, mean, I'm, I mean, it's like, you, you, I, you know, reading, reading Foucault, and then I go to the, the, the Metropolitan Museum. It's like, I mean, it's like eating McDonald's for, for, for $200. I mean, what are we talking? I mean, you work I on this, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't. Um, <laughs> But you know what? I'm not. I think Manhattan sucks, so I'm not gonna. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, the everyone. movie Manhattan. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And I it's haven't like seen about, it. And it's like about a perv who dates like a 17 year old or something. 16. Yeah. Meryl. 
Uh, I believe it's Meryl, right? No, no, no. Oh, no, man. No. It's, I don't I forgot who it is. Who is Oof. it? I feel bad. No, it's, it's, <laughs> it's not Meryl. Anyway, just just you keep your love for movies uh, to yourself. It is Meryl Street. Oh, okay. Sorry. So I wasn't way off. No, you weren't. You're right. You're right. All right, good. I'll have to put that one on my list. Yeah. All right, Gabe. Well, that's it for uh, this week's show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Next week, we are going to be talking about To Die For. I'm actually very excited to watch this one because I hadn't heard about it. It has great reviews, and it has Joaquin. Yeah, this movie I wouldn't pin... I would never pick up. Yeah. Because I, I, I didn't know it had Joaquin. I thought it was just some random, like... Remember that movie we had to review with uh, um, Michael... Bolton, <laughs> yeah, Bolton. <laughs> uh, no, a perfect murder. I thought it was gonna kind of be like that, just like yeah. a like a thriller lover type yeah. of a bad. Loop. I think it could be that way, but better. Yeah, <laughs> if it has Joaquin, I'm in. So yeah, that's cool. All right, well, um, that's it for this week. I think I already plugged the social media when we talked about the game show, didn't I? Uh, I don't know, but oh, just, I don't think uh, I did. In, yeah, in case you didn't, I don't um, think I did. Yeah, why don't you uh, email us if you want a Rewind Cinema Podcast at gmail.com you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Rewind Cinema Pod. And who provided the sweet music for our show? That would be Natural Anthem. My buddy Jake. You can find them at naturalanthem.net. Um, we're going to put the, the lists for the, uh, the movie draft picks up on Facebook and Twitter. So if you want to vote, um, we'll have those up and you can do that. Yeah, be sure to vote and, and make me win because I'm the best. It's <laughs> not a good reason. Yeah. Uh, until next time, though, watch more movies I mean, you know, and why didn't you, I mean, why, why didn't you pick my, my movie? I mean, you know, I didn't come in soon ye. I mean, yeah.